So character that I want to talk about is Lois's co-worker, Craig. I love Craig. <laughs> oh, I hated Craig so much. What? Oh. Hello, everyone. This is Alex. And this is Em. Welcome to the latest episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic. This is a podcast for nostalgic Gen X and millennials and binge watchers of all ages. On this podcast, we'll be discussing what we love, what we hate, and what's just a little bit problematic about the TV and movies that we're addicted to, and do a little bit of rewriting where necessary. For much more exclusive content, become a show producer on Patreon and get access to after-the-episode bonuses, curated playlists, movie reviews, season finale and pilot episode reviews, and much more. Join the GBB family at patreon.com forward slash goodbadbasic. On today's episode, we'll be diving into the tales of the Wilkerson family, better known as (laughs) the hit family sitcom Malcolm in the Middle. Fox's Malcolm in the Middle was the breakout television hit of the year 2000, one of the last great family sitcoms, and one of the most successful American sitcoms of all time. Very nearly titled The Wilkerson's, the elusive last name of the show's family, Malcolm in the Middle focused on its titular character, the middle child in a poor working class family, making him narrator to the antics of his and his brother's antics. Debuting when the character Malcolm is 12 years old and ending when he is 18 and has graduated high school and attending Harvard University, this show had a great seven-season run with little to no decline in viewership and an even longer run in syndication and later on streaming services. So what made Malcolm in the Middle so captivating? Why do so many people still love this sitcom? Stay tuned. So some critical details about Malcolm in the Middle. The show is a family sitcom, like we said. It aired from January 9th of the year 2000 to May 14 of 2006, lasted seven seasons and 151 episodes. The creator of the show is Linwood Boomer. And the show stars Frankie Muniz as Malcolm, the titular character, um, Jane Kaczmarek as Lois, Brian Cranston as Hal, these are the mother and father, Justin Butterfield as Reese, Eric Persullivan as Dewey, um, and um, Christopher Masterson as Francis. So these are the characters that we're going to see the most of that core family. So... Alex, why don't we jump into the family as a unit? What do we think of this family when we're first introduced to them? They are, they're chaotic. One thing I love about them is that they're very, they're working class, right? They're like a working class white family. They're definitely working class, probably almost working poor. Brian Cranston sort of falling into this bumbling father role, um, which he gets better at, thank God, through um, out the seasons. And then Lois trying to, you know, raise these kids uh, without losing her mind. But they're they're definitely they're definitely not like your typical, 
I think, sitcom family or they will because I don't know, they don't I don't watch a ton of sitcoms, but I want to say like if we think of like All in the Family or some of these really older iconic like sitcoms about families, they don't to me like they're 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 not like any of those those other ones cuz those other ones are very like part like who's the boss uh, all in the family stuff like that those those families are very perfect they're very like um Brady Bunch they're very uh together and the Wilkerson's are very messy <laughs> right Malcolm's family is very messy and you know, I did grow up watching a lot of sitcoms, and while there was imperfection to be had in those families, it was either very minor or something that they worked hard to sweep under the rug. I think what makes Malcolm in the Middle so different and what made it so great to watch is how that imperfection and that messiness was the premise, and it was brought to the forefront. Another thing that I think made it great is that our... Another thing I think made the show so great is that our title character, Malcolm, um, very, you know, um, regularly breaks the fourth wall and speaks directly to the audience. Right. Um, Which I think is a move that is very risky because it's often not done well and it's done very well on the show. You really feel like it's more interactive, like you're pulled into the dialogue and it's not jarring at all. I remember, because I did watch Malcolm in the Middle when I was a kid, and I remember it feeling, when Malcolm would break the fourth wall and talk to talk to the audience, because it was specifically from his perspective, I felt like I was friends with these boys. Like, they were boys that yes. I was also growing up with. Right. Malcolm speaks to us in a very conspiratorial type of way, right? Like... Like you're telling a friend a secret. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> Which is great. Like he's he does he doesn't stop to like narrate. It's like, and he does it in such a way like the camera never zooms in on his face. He always looks over his shoulder like he's whispering something to a friend. Right. The camera will usually be. The camera will cut from whatever setup. It's either it's a slow push in. Uh, yeah, either it's a really slow push in to Malcolm or the camera will cut from whatever coverage it's doing and Malcolm will turn around in his seat and then talk to you about whatever is happening in um, whatever scenario, whatever is happening in the moment. Right, right. Um, so I want to talk about um, some of these relationships on the show. First, let's start with the obvious. Malcolm's relationships with his brothers, their relationships with each other. Um, when the show opens, there Hal and Lois have four children: Francis, Reese, Malcolm, and Dewey. And they they're essentially the show's warped version of the core four. They're very fractured. They're very messy. They're not even together a lot of the time because when the show opens, Francis has already been shipped off to military school. Right. Um, what What do we think of these brothers' relationships with each other? Oh, well, they're so funny. <laughs> I think they're so funny. Um, Malcolm is obviously sort of, he, he's our narrator, Obviously, so he's also, you know, our our person who is like the most level headed. 
and I guess like our most relatable character. And then Dewey is like, you know, the youngest child and Reese is sort of is the older one, but he's not as smart as Malcolm. And it's interesting. I think I like that their relationship is like at once adversarial uh, in conspira- and then, but then conspiratory at the same time um, with each other. They have like a, a solid bond with each other. I think something a dynamic that this show gets really right is just the way that your your siblings will sort of like beat up on you, but like no, but your siblings aren't going to let like other people beat up on you, right? And you know the brothers have a a pack that's pretty much both spoken and unspoken as the series progresses that like the one rule you cannot break is like, you don't rat out your brothers to mom. Right. Cause I just don't forget. And this even extends all the way to Francis who was not even in their immediate vicinity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, this is why like, even though I think on a couple of occasions, they even go so far as to try to get their brother caught by the mom they will explicitly tell her that the other brothers are doing something so one of the relationships i thought was interesting was a relationship that reese malcolm and dewey have with francis especially in the early seasons reese is the oldest of the brothers still at home and he kind of runs things um or he thinks he runs things except that malcolm and dewey are much smarter than him and they're running him half the time but they are. <laughs> but like when Francis shows up, everybody sort of like like defers to his leadership because he is smarter than Reese, um, though still not as smart as Malcolm and Dewey, honestly. But he's also much older than Malcolm and Dewey. Like Reese is only a year older than Malcolm. And so they just defer to him as, like, the leader of their group. And because he got in so much trouble with their mom as to be shipped off to military school, his brothers sort of idolize him. Right. He's he's infamous. Right. Right. Until um, they realize that he's, like, he's like a piece of shit and they turn on him. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I don't remember what episode it is, but when Francis um, breaks out of, like, military school... Or he, yeah, he goes AWOL from military school. Um, you sort of see uh, the depth of that. So one thing that I think the show, I think, was super jarring about the show, and and listeners, I know this is not like our usual format, just for like sake, uh, because Malcolm in the Middle is um, a type of show where it's just like closed episodic, and each episode is its own. Uh, complete story from beginning and middle to end we're just sort of going to talk about uh the show in a very general (laughs) very general sense uh just so you know but um something that i think the show does that is really strange that becomes jarring in the later seasons is these transitions between the core family and then francis like i found myself not engaged by the francis stuff later on what about you Um, it wasn't jarring for me. Like for me, it was done pretty smoothly. I, I just didn't care about Francis. (laughs) That sounds terrible. But I guess that speaks to what I'm saying. Like, cause that, cause I did feel that too, that like Francis stuff would come up and, or the Francis stuff would be going on. And I'm just like, I don't care about this as an audience member. And I do think it's a disservice that 
the show doesn't, but when Francis would come back or would be in the immediate vicinity of the, the, the whole family, I was ra- I was enraptured, right? So I do think right. it's something, I don't know, I think that is like a little, just a teeny tiny little something that the series should have, I think, explored more or been at more on top. Because I also think something like that is super real, right? Like you go to college or you try to go out into the world and it doesn't work out. So you have to like go back and live with your parents. Right. Um, well, I understand why they never brought Francis to live back home again, because Lois is a woman of her word. She kind of has to be, especially with those kids, because you give them an inch and they'll take a foot. Right. And she had told him flat out, like, you cannot come back home. Even when he was he had left military school, he was unemployed and didn't have a place to go. She was like, well, you can't stay here. So I get why the, the Francis character was never brought home. And I also get why the show producers didn't completely just abandon the Francis character. Because let's be real, sitcoms have abandoned characters for far less. Um, like, okay, that's it. We're never going to hear from this person again. But I agree with Alex that the scenes with him were much more fluid and enjoyable when he was in the family home or around his brothers, just because his storyline was just so far detached from theirs, I feel, which honestly is a shout out to how strong the writing of the, 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 the core family unit was, right? That he would feel like an interloper when this is his own family. Right. Like his character is like focusing on his character almost felt like we were taking time away from the people we really wanted to be focused on. Right. Cause you, you, these hijinks with Reese and Malcolm and Dewey, for me at least, they never got old. <laughs> they never did. They never did. And just when you think these kids, like, like it's over, like they can't think of anything worse to do. They do. Right. So I want to talk about my favorite um, for a minute, Lois. I love Lois. She's my favorite too. (laughs) She's my absolute favorite. And so it's interesting. So (sighs) Lois as is a mother. And I think there's a lot of discourse about, mothers and like particularly like white mothers on television and sort of having to fulfill this very specific ideal of like white womanhood and and white motherhood and um there's a genre now uh in there's a genre like right now that I that I personally call like the shitty white mom drama <laughs> genre where it's just white women being like really shitty mothers and being celebrated for such. Um, they're just like complete, like when I think of this genre, I think of like Smilf. I think of, um, yikes. Yeah. Smilf. I think of Alicia Florick in a way. Um, that's harsh, but, uh, but I stand by it. Um, I think of, uh, working moms. I think of that's a series on Netflix. Um, I think of, uh, just there, like, I feel like, yeah, there are a bunch out there. It's just like, there aren't a bunch coming to my head, but 
it's definitely like a thing um, where like white women are like really bad mothers and then like want to be celebrated for it. I mean, my gosh, even the movie like Bad Moms, that's like the whole concept of it. But Mm -hmm. Lois is probably the first incarnation of that type of woman or type of genre uh, of, of archetype of white of a white mother um which is fascinating <laughs> to me uh but and even then I wouldn't say that Lois I think the the shitty white mom genre will grow from Lois but she herself is not like a shitty mom she is just like she's the kind of I think mo- white mother that people really talk about that they say that they want to see because she loves her kids she loves those kids so much but um it is so hard on her and she is trying her absolute freaking best to raise them with a sense of purpose. I love her. Yeah. Lois is my favorite character as well. Um, Now the thing about these bad moms and I'm specifically referencing the movie bad moms is that they're moms who are bad quote unquote, not because they're raising well one of them is actually raising their kids really shitty um but for dropping the ball or falling short of perfection lois embraces falling short of perfection even though she is a very meticulous person because she understands how much she's running she's got all these boys and how who might as well be an extra child in a lot of ways and lois is just someone who wants um obedience and honesty. She's not even that stern, right? Because I remember when I was still doing writing TV and movie show reviews for a blog I used to have, I talked about Lois from Malcolm in the Middle. And people are like, nah, she was a terrible mom. And it was it was mostly white people, but there were a few POC in the mix. I'm like, let me watch the show again. The show was still on Netflix at the time. And I remember watching the show And not only did I not think she was a bad mom, my opinion of her was even better than when I had originally watched the show. Lois is not very strict with those boys at all. Literally all she asks is that they be in the house by by, um, bedtime and that they don't partake in any bullying, theft, or vandalism. The bar is so low. (laughs) The bar is low. And that they don't, like, fuck up her (laughs) shit, essentially. Right? Because, like, they do some really... Like, the kids do some really, like, crazy shit. (laughs) Yes. Um, Like, and they do it everywhere. They they do it at her job. They do it, like, in the street. They do it at the house. She's just like, don't... Can you just, like, put a a cap on this craziness for like two seconds. But, but like I said, I, I do think Lois is a really good mom. You, like you said, like she is, um, she's this figure that like in, I think the mother, the white motherhood. And I want to keep saying like white motherhood discourse, because I don't think we actually have a bunch of representations of like black mothers or other women of color who are mothers, which I think is a problem. Um, so I, I do like to be specific. Um, well, we do have them on sitcoms. <laughs> we have, yes, we have, uh, we do have black mothers on sitcoms, um, at least, but I don't think, I think the only like Latina, Latinx mother I can think of is one day at a time, which is a remake. Right. And mm-hmm. then, I, and then if I think about like Indian, or 
uh, Indian or East Asian. I can't. Uh, well, there's fresh off the boat, finally, right? And that, mm-hmm. but like South South Asian, no, I don't. I can't think of any. Right. I mean, and this is why I love sitcoms so much growing up because that's the only place that I could see like an abundance of black mothers. Black mothers right. weren't on dramas. Black families weren't on dramas. So. Right. Um, but yeah, Lois, like you said, Lois embraces that, like, you know, she's not perfect. It's like, whatever, but she does the best she can. And she, and one of the things that I love about Lois and one of the, I think one of the more moving one of the more one of the most like moving episodes is like probably in season like in the way later seasons season 6 ish either 6 or 7 where she's where Reese is talking to her and he's like you th- you threw me out and it traumatized me and that you should not have done that and you were always much easier on the other boys than you were on me and i think you took out a lot of your frustrations on me and it hurt me and it damaged me and Lois looks him dead in his face and she's like you're right I'm sorry oh you mean Francis right oh yeah Francis not Reese my bad I was switch up but like yeah Francis I remember that episode um for me there were so many moving moving moments with Lois and I, I wrote down my list of favorite episodes from all seven seasons and it's when looking back it's no surprise to me that a lot of them were great Lois moments too for me, one that probably wasn't as moving, but it happens very early on. And this is when I realized that, like, Lois is a G. Lois is a writer. Lois understands her children was um, the episode 19 of season two, where um, Reese is failing a class and Malcolm starts to tutor him, but then Malcolm ends up cheating for him. You know, Reese had previously told the family that the teacher had it out for him. And the family didn't believe him, of course, because he lies. Um, <laughs> and later the family comes to the house and basically tells him that Reese failed another test. He's going to flunk out this, that, and the third. And Malcolm exposes the teacher as really having it out for Reese because the paper that, um, or the, the, the test results, whichever it was that he gave to Reese was worthy of a B. And then Lois is like, wait. Um, you were cheating for your brother, and then she turns to the teacher like, you gave something Malcolm wrote an F. You do have it out for Reese. And then she's like, and then the teacher, you know, tries to, like, backpedal. And he's like, listen, listen, um, let's just all forget this, any of this ever happened. And she's like, no, I won't. Um, I'm going to go to the principal um, unless you pass my son. And then she's like, well, if you go to the principal, I'll just tell them that Malcolm cheated. Do you really want that? And she says something that is jarring because most people wouldn't think to do it. But she says, if you don't think that I would sell Malcolm out to protect Reese, you're, you're completely, you don't understand me. Like Malcolm is brilliant. He's always going to be okay, but Reese needs help. Like Malcolm's always going to land on his feet, but Reese needs help. So Malcolm can take any blow. Like if, if Malcolm is 
brought up for you know on this on disciplinary charges for cheating for his brother he's still gonna be okay but reese is a kid that needs help and he's not gonna have a lot of chances and for me this showcased such a clear understanding of her children she really sees them as individuals and she understands their strengths and their weaknesses right and you know what else and i know exactly the moment you're talking about the episode you're talking about and something else about that that i really loved was in that you sort of have before we have this language right to talk about learning disabilities and fixing behavioral issues and so on and so forth in that moment I was like "Ooh, that's so interesting because like there's a mother who may not have all the language to talk about specifically what is going on with her child but has a inner understanding her child's weakness. Like like you said, her child's sort of probably weaknesses and is is trying to to fight for him to have a, a good life. Right, right. And this is something that I see when I look at older shows, and they don't have to be that much older. Malcolm in the Middle is not that much older. But if you go through like the lexicon of like older shows and older movies, you will see that a lot. People that don't have the terminology to define something, and maybe that terminology didn't even exist at the time when this was being filmed, but they understand the situation that they're in. Right. And that's why, and stuff like that, and in because Reese you probably could looking at the Reese character he does probably have some sort of like attention deficit so yeah some sort of 80 probably attention if like you're gonna if you're if we're gonna armchair it or there's just something where he can't just pick up on work the way other kids can pick up on work or or in he's behind mm-hmm. right because because Reese's whole thing is like he really is like He's, it's like a real struggle for him to do well in school. So there is probably something there. And so the, the fact that she is cognizant of it and knows it and, and can pull that together is is great. And it's why I always, I never buy this excuse. I never, I never want to hear like, oh, well, we didn't have that stuff back then. I'm like, yes, you do. Like we absolutely did. But may, maybe it's just that we didn't have the language to speak mm-hmm. on it, but it was there. But yeah, I love Lois and Lois does love her kids. Um, Just desperately loves her kids. And you're right. Like there was always like a lot of hate around Lois. But yeah, Lois loves the crap out of those kids. And Lois is the only one that knows how to love them, right? Like I want to point out something about this sitcom that other sitcoms never show you, right? Like in other sitcoms, even when these kids are beefing with their parents, they're still beloved by members outside of their family. This is not the case in Malcolm in the Middle. Hal and Lois are, and in the the Canarbans, um, their neighbors are pretty much the only people that can put up with Malcolm and his brothers. They don't really have that many friends outside of each other. They are problem. They are delinquents. This is not in Lois's head. Right. <laughs> like they're like, if they were like, if Malcolm and his siblings were like black, they would be in juvenile detention. They would be in and out of juvie. Like by the first season. <laughs> Right, especially the older two. Like, Francis and Reese are simply not smart enough to keep themselves out of juvie, right? Like, they would definitely be the first ones there. They'd be the first ones. I feel like audiences gaslight the fuck out of Lois by claiming that she's a bad mom. 
when really she could not be a firmer um, disciplinarian than she is because obviously they would think she's a worse person, but she can't be more light than she is because at that point it would be straight up coddling. Right. Absolutely. So then they love coddling, right? Because they loved Christina on Parenthood. (laughs) Right. They love a coddler. They love a helicopter mom. Um, uh, Which brings me to how, who enables this behavior out of those kids, right? I mean, he is one of them. Like he's half of one of them. Right. And like I said, in a lot of ways, he is like an extra child. Um, The fact that Lois loves him and chooses to love him because he's not her child, right? You don't have to love his spouse. Shows to me the her great capacity for love, to be very honest. Right. So how is part, like I said, how is part of this bumbling dad stereotype that we're kind of over, I think, as a culture, or we're, or at least I'm over it. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't be speaking for so many people, but I personally am not with it. But... One of the great things about Hal is that, like, Hal does get better, I think, throughout the seasons. Mm-hmm. He, to in terms of parenting those kids, like, he does, like, grow up. Right. And um, it's interesting about the Hal character because Lois disciplines her kids even when what they're doing doesn't affect their family, right? If it affects their schoolmates, their school teachers, extended family members, neighbors, she will still discipline them. She doesn't let them get away with doing shit that doesn't affect her. But Hal does a lot. In early seasons, Hal only disciplines the kids when what they're doing affect him and Lois. Right. Like, he's just like, okay, it's it's really not affecting me. We're just not going to tell your mom, boys. I, if you take a shot for every time Hal says, we're not going to tell your mom, boys. <laughs> 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 Listen. <laughs> Listen, how, how was an enabler? How was he enables? He, he absolutely was an enabler. But, uh, but I think Hal just... I don't know. Hal is Hal is actually complicated in a sense because I he's an enabler, but I think he's sort of like annoyed that he has all these kids. Like, right. and I don't think he he realized how much work all these children were going to be. <laughs> so I definitely think there's a part of Hal that like gave up very early on. Right. Hal and Lois are not coded as religious people, but they're de- they definitely don't come off as the type of people that use birth control. Yes. Yes, like, they, yes. they are going at it raw. <laughs> I can tell you that. Um, they have they have another they have another kid, Jamie, before the series um, ends. And in that series finale episode, Lois is pregnant again. Right. Right. So, <laughs> which is yeah, nuts. this shit is this is and wild. She- and she flips out. She's like, and they both flip out. They're like, what did you, what do you mean? <laughs> right. And I think they've been having those reactions pretty much ever since Re. I mean, do we? Maybe they planned the first three, but they didn't plan them other kids. Um, <laughs> but um, they're definitely working poor. And what I love about this show is that while the family is poor, and they're, Hal and Lois definitely have the frame of mind, like, we're poor guys. Get used to it. They never make the kids feel like the kids are the reason they're poor. Right. They, yeah, they do. That's that's really real. They don't put that, that idea, like, on their kids. They're just sort of like, ugh, this, it is what it is. 
Because that's a huge burden, right? And I think a lot of poor people do this intentionally and unintentionally. They either say or imply that they would be better off economically if they didn't have children or they had less children than they do. Right. Or, I mean, just talking about... I'm trying to remember if there's ever times when they just flat out tell kids like, oh, like we can't afford that. I can't afford that. We're poor. We're poor. Like if they ever come out and say it. Um, Lois tells them that we can't afford things a lot. And she tells them that they're poor often. But I don't think I think they try. They work very hard, especially Lois, not to let poverty touch their kids in so far as basic needs. Like the f- kids are always eating them out of house and home. The right. kids are always vandalizing something that the parents end up having to pay for. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like and they never they always get in trouble for the thing they do. But like Lois never says something like when they set some shit on fire, like, you know, we don't have any money. How could you like she just chastises them for setting the fire. <laughs> Right. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy. I want to talk about their house for a minute. So growing up, I watch a lot of TV and a lot of supposedly poor families lived in these really big ass houses. Malcolm's family house was quite small. He and his brothers shared a room. Okay. I think this was like a three bedroom house. Francis was the only one that had aged into having his own room. And none of the boys had moved into Francis's room, um, which later became Jamie's room. And Francis, Malcolm, and Dewey all shared a room, and their parents had a room. The the house is small. It's one of the smallest houses on the neighborhood. It's got the shittiest yard in the neighborhood that's unkempt. And it's like tumbleweeds and dirt. (laughs) Right. Uh, And you know poor people live here. Like, that's undeniable. Right. The only other time I can think about, uh, like, on a sitcom or, like, a a closed episodic show, family show of, like, the kids room um, rooming up is, like, Boy Meets World, at least. Yeah, Eric and, Eric and Corey share a room. Even when Eric is, like, much older, right? Mm-hmm. Eric and Corey share that room. And it was crazy that they were sharing a room because they show you shots of the outside of in the back of their house. I know that house more than had more, had more than two bedrooms. Stop playing. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, yeah. Well, yeah. Because Morgan, when Morgan finally comes along, Morgan gets her own room. Right. So there was a whole other room this entire time. At least one other. <laughs> Listen. Okay. Foolishness, but. Yeah, they're all sharing, like, they they share the rooms, so, so you, yeah, so it's, it's not like they can afford a house with, like, multiple bedrooms, and pretty much now every single family show sitcom kid does, right? Right, um, I mean, I think, I, I feel like I'm seeing like every kid getting their own bedroom more often now, right? But like Lois and Hal are very clearly in what should have been their starter home, right? Um, when they had one kid and they were doing better. And in the flashbacks, we see a few flashbacks as the, season, as the seasons progress of back when Francis was a toddler and an only child. Um, Lois and um, Hal are dressed better. The house is nicer, this was their starter home that they never were able to leave be- as more kids came along. Right, because of the expense and because of everything. 
Right. I mean, I remember a show called The Torkelsons in the 90s. And this was about like a, a poor, poor family, right? Where the mom had five kids. She wasn't a widow either. Their dad had left her. This white woman got left. I really need somebody to remake this show because it was amazing. Just the concept was amazing. And they were like literally living hand to mouth. And then the mom gets a job as a nanny and brings all five kids with her to her employer's home. And they're pretty much living on top of each other. And like our protagonist is her oldest daughter, Dorothy Jane. That, and I think Roseanne's kids where Becky and Darlene shared a room all the time. Um, For a brief while, one of their boyfriends had moved in and was sharing a room with their brother, DJ. Um, I think these were the closest I got to like really, really great um, um, iterations of being white and working poor. Yeah, so Malcolm in the Middle will end in 2006, and this will be, at least to my mind, the last, uh, until Shameless, uh, and even then, that Shameless was a UK show that was adapted for an American audience. Um, Malcolm in the Middle will be the last show, to my mind, that focuses on a work on a white working poor family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, the family on Shameless isn't even working poor, right? Like, re- like their jobs are often few, far between, temporary, erratic, right? Because Lip and Fiona are working when the show opens, but they're kind of bouncing from job to job and place to place, just trying to scrape and hustle. Like, they're poor, poor, and apparently we don't get to see white people living on top of each other unless they're living hand-to-mouth, Right. And even then I was like, I'm trying to think, well, Fiona has her own room, which is real. Um, but yeah, Debbie and Debbie and Carl or no, all the boys are together. And then, yeah. Um, Lip, Ian and Carl are all together. Um, but even then that doesn't happen at first. I think first it's just Debbie and Carl are in the same room and then Debbie, um, is very cutely uh, before um is like i'm a changing woman like i need my own room and then she gets (laughs) her own and then she does get her own room but it's it's to the great sacrifice of like everyone right right she and carl had been rooming and ian and lip had been rooming with uh the baby um liam and fiona only had her own room because she took frank and monica's room right um, like, so that house was packed. And I mean, the house is a two story house, but it's the Chicago South side. It's a very narrow house. So that actually makes sense in a way that boy meets world or seventh heaven, having these kids sharing a room when the houses are gigantic did not make sense. <laughs> so back to Malcolm in the middle real quick. Um, I want to talk about how the Carnarvons and the intersection of race and class. Yeah, let's do it. One of the things that always struck me about Malcolm in the Middle is that Hal has friends, right? He has good friends. He gets together with his buddies every now and then. All of his friends are Black male professionals. He, He works like, he's one of the many disposable rungs on a ladder working at a cubicle for like an insurance company or something. Definitely not a degreed job. Um, And all of his friends are like dentists, engineers, 
architects, but they're all black. And as I got older, I think I realized why that was. He was too poor to join the white boys, the rich white boys club, and they were too black to join it. And I see that quite often with black people even living in white neighborhoods, right? Where they're making substantially more money than their neighbors a lot of the time. But like poor black people don't live here, right? If you're poor and black, like you can't be in this environment. Oh, Um, yeah. (laughs) right so um i always thought that was super interesting and his friends are always all much better off than him but one thing i love about how is how takes it on the chin even though the family tells the the show tells us a couple times that how comes from a very well-to-do family a family that disowned him when he married lois who they saw as white trash even though he grew up in wealth and i'm sure it bothers him sometimes not being able to afford things he takes being poor a really, really, really well, especially when you're surrounded by affluence in the form of close friends. Right. Um, so the episode that you'll see, like you said, we'll see how a lot with these friends. Um, and it, and it is a very, and it is a specific friend group. Um, but one thing that, but the Canarbans, so Hal and Abe, there's an episode where, Abe invites Hal over for like his, you know, poker night. And Hal is like the most excited he's ever been in his whole life. Cause he's like, oh snap. Probably because also the the thing that I also got from this was like Hal might have had like a bit of a gang- gambling problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he absolutely Hal definitely did have like a bit of a ga- gambling problem. But he Hal goes over to play poker with Abe and the boys. It doesn't go well <laughs> the for this first time. They and they get into this fight, and you and the way that the episode is written, you think that it's building to to Hal being like, "You discriminated against me because I'm a white man." But when you when we finally get to the turn, you because I'm not a professional, like you just don't like me because I'm working class, and Abe is like. No, <laughs> like I didn't even, that's not even a thing I'm thinking about. We never really get if like Abe thought that he really was going to say it was about race, but from it all, it is about how, yeah, being insecure that like these black men are all very accomplished and he isn't. What? Oh, I was going to I was just going to say, I love that turn because like, thank you, whoever in the writer's room decided that on that specific turn, because it speaks to Hal's insecurities as a white man. He's never been discriminated on race before. And the character understands this, but he has been discriminated against because of class, right? Or because of the type of job that he has. So thank you for not trying to like throw in a reverse racism storyline in there. We <laughs> Like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Absolutely. Abe and this, these specific group of black guys are, will be, will recur through the series and they'll all be friends doing like really funny stuff. Like they play poker and they all have like a, like a singing, like barbershop group. <laughs> but they, and they sing at like old people homes and all this really, uh, really, really fun stuff. I just want to mention how all the things Alex talks about with um, Hal and this friend group are just so pure and 
things I've never seen with white male friend groups. <clears throat> like it's always it's always something so shady or sinister or or you know there's a lot of like um homo antagonism and homo eroticism I feel in a lot of white male friend groups. It's it's really off-putting. Um I'm sorry, it's really off-putting. But house friend group is just so chill and they're just so normal. So I want to talk a bit about Stevie. So Stevie, so Stevie is the the son of the Carnarvons, right? Mm-hmm. And Stevie is in a wheelchair. He's disabled and he has asthma. And he is, I think, probably one of the first friends that Malcolm makes, the, the brothers will make outside of themselves. Right. Um, and this actually happens because um, Stevie is the first person Malcolm's ever met who is as smart as he is. And Stevie is the first person outside the family that Reese has ever met who, like, encourages um, a lot of his antics. I mean, at least at, at least the antics that are not targeting Stevie himself. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> and And they have common interests, right? Like, Stevie um loves comic books and so does Malcolm and because the Carnarvons are are better off right financially they're able to sort of fund Stevie's comic book addiction and Steve and Malcolm is able to sort of read these comic books secondhand from Stevie I thought the Stevie character was super duper interesting because he's in a wheelchair and you can see that there's quite a bit of ableism on his parents behalf they dote on him and spoil him because in a great way they pity him but the the stevie character doesn't feel sorry for himself and he actually knows this about his parents and often manipulates them with it which i thought was brilliant right it's so smart he (laughs) he and malcolm will be in his room his mother will come in or abel come in Stevie and Stevie's like, watch this. And he'll just like, he'll wheeze and he'll use his inhaler. And then they'll be like, oh, honey, like, yes, of course you can have, you know, cake for breakfast or something. Like, <laughs> ridiculous. Um, Ooh, his parents were marks. I'm sorry. They were, they were marks. Um, and something I love, uh, <laughs> and it's funny, so something I really, really love about the Stevie character and the Stevie character in relation to the brothers is that which falls off when he gets older and that's which is kind of upsetting is he is in with them he is all in with the brothers on all their antics and the brothers are all in with Stevie they don't treat his they don't treat his being in a wheelchair like it's a problem they don't uh obviously like they can't deny it cuz like it's a wheelchair you see it but it's for them. It's just like, whatever, like who cares? <laughs> um, to the point where it's funny. Lois was so excited that like Stevie and Malcolm became friends and then they get into some sort of like hijink and Stevie, uh, gets, I think, you know, messed up in the way that, that Malcolm's brothers mess things up. And she, and Lois is like horrified. Cause she thinks his mom is going to like be like oh, your your children cannot hang out with Stevie anymore, and instead it's like oh, instead his mom comes back and she's like oh Stevie had such a great time, and even Stevie himself was like this was awesome, like this was amazing. <laughs> right, right. Um, 
um, the and I, I I did think that it was kind of sad to see Stevie no longer part of the antics anymore as the brothers got older, and I think that actually happened looking back because our titular character Stevie's best friend Malcolm um, has a very real burgeoning interest in girls by this point. And I think that's something that actually happens a lot in a lot of friendships that you have when you're a child. Quite a few people, even as adults, kind of ditch their friends in a way as they start dating or thinking about dating or making moves and things like that. But I loved all the the storylines with Stevie because like Alex said, they were always very inclusive of Stevie and didn't act like, oh, well, you can't come with us because you're in that chair or you're not fun because you're in that chair. Um I think this is something that the character needed, right? Because, like I said, even though he didn't feel sorry for himself um, for being in the wheelchair, I do think there's something to be said for constantly having people, his parents and his teachers, treat him like a baby. Right, and which is strange because, like you said, like Malcolm and Stevie are both uh, intellectual like they're both on the same intellectual level. Um, in fact, I think Stevie might even be a, have a bit of an edge on Malcolm, um, mm-hmm. which we see in the because which you see in the later seasons when Malcolm is going to high school, and I think Malcolm ends up in like a gifted program, mm-hmm. um, or Malcolm gets bumped up to a gifted program that Stevie's always been in. Right, right. I mean. And the thing is, a, an argument could be made that Stevie got into that program because he has helicopter parents that want to get the best of everything for him that will go speak to any teacher or any doctor, He and he's their only child, right? I know a lot of kids that should have been in gifted at early ages when I was in school, but they were poor kids. They were parents. They were kids whose parents couldn't drop everything and come to the school for a parent-teacher meeting at whatever time right um and this is just more on the intersections of race and class but the Carnarvons had money and that was never misunderstood (laughs) right um uh but and and like and listen the friendship doesn't completely go because they do get into high school and um they do like weird shit together like grow bacteria from yeast and in science and stuff like weird stuff um yeah, they don't they don't do to him what they did to Pete on Smallville. <laughs> They're right? Oh no. We'll get to that. Yikes. Um poor Pete. <laughs> the token black friend that goes away. Uh yeah. And listen, and Stevie, at least Stevie does get his. There's like a really cute black girl who I forget her name, but she's definitely like a sitcom TV staple at that point. Her face is super recognizable. And Stevie does get to like she and Stevie do like sort of hook up and and get that going. And that's that's good to see. And I appreciate that. Like I I think it ends up with Malcolm or Malcolm's girlfriend sort of catching her, catching them with like her in like his lap and and they're they're just going for it. Right. And I love that too. Like so many things about the CV character were done right looking back because he was never coded as being 
intellectually inferior because of his physical disability. He was never coded as someone who was like, and this is a form of benevolent ableism, but always portraying disabled people as being really, really nice and altruistic and selfless. He was never coded that way. And he was, he was also never coded like asexual. Like, you know how a lot of times they will, put disabled characters like teenagers and adults even as like having no sexual desires (laughs) right um and that and that was never that was never the case uh yes stevie is act that's true stevie is a disabled character um that is done very well because there are times when stevie can be like a bit of an asshole there's a lot of times, girl. <laughs> um, no, but like for real, for real, like at the end of the day, Stevie is just a person and he's just a kid and he does think selfishly and um, he does have desires that don't include other people. And like, and it's fine. Like he is a whole complete person who is also disabled. Like they don't, not defining the character or like writing the character's personality around the disability is actually one of the standouts of the writing on this show. Right. What were some of your favorite Stevie moments? Cause I know you had some. <laughs> oh, oh gosh. So like I said, the, the girl, him and the girl, it's funny. Cause <laughs> um, they, I mean, the way they do it is sort of gross. Cause they're, he's like, they're like, Stevie could die any day now. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> But, uh, but that is funny. Uh, uh, but I do like that one. Oh, I love when, uh, they go to the carnival, the abandoned carnival. Uh, that's definitely one of my favorite Stevie centric episodes. Um, and I also, I love this like science experiment thing that they do with Stevie, Stevie, um, and Malcolm are doing this like science experiment for, some sort of like like comp it's like some sort of competition and and like Reese is like trying to be in on it and Malcolm and Stevie sort of fuck with Reese in the process and it's funny. Yeah, the carnival episode is my favorite episode as well from Stevie, like the Stevie, um the Stevie episodes. Um so a character that I want to talk about is Lois's co-worker, Craig. I love Craig. <laughs> I hated Craig so much. What? Oh, like, well, let's end on a high note. So I'm going to tell you why I hate Craig and you can tell me why you love Craig. (laughs) Craig is Lois's coworker who's like deeply fixated on her, um, infatuated with her, believes that he's in love with her. And where the show falls into like the useless bumbling dad trope, one trope that is one soap or sitcom trope that it doesn't fall into is like the woman falling for or in any way taking pity on the man who's fixated on her. So he's like focused on Lois for years and years and years. And it's very obvious that Lois knows and is ignoring any thinly veiled overtures. And then when Greg finally comes out and says that he loves her, she not only like, she doesn't let him down gently. She like tells him off and she's like, listen, I'm married. I have a family. I have never in any way given you reason to hope. I've never led you on. Like the next time you feel the need to unburden yourself, don't. (laughs) And I was so here (laughs) for it. I was so 
here for it because sitcoms in particular have a reputation for like making you sorry feel sorry for the guy that like basically was living out a relationship in their own head right I guess obviously I don't like that part but I love Craig I think moving forward because it it becomes apparent that like Craig is just like lonely yeah (laughs) um and I like that um after all of that like they just sort of eventually accept him into their family. And he does become like that neighbor guy who's just always there. And particularly like when the kids either, it's either the kids or it's how like burn down his house. Yeah. And he has to stay with them. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I remember. Oh God. I remember that. I remember that whole plot now that, no, that was funny. And I agree that, once he got over this, like, once we got, we, we were, we didn't have to see him, like, stalking Lois at work anymore. Craig became a really, really great character. Right. He, he just becomes really funny. And, like, he does funny stuff. Like, when he, like, sings, like, opera in the shower. And then he continues to, like, sing it in the house. <laughs> and, like, he has, like, his jazzercise that he, like, just is, like, pumping in the house. Like, I love all of it. <laughs> Right. You know what's interesting about the Craig character? Craig is, like, if we're going purely on definition and voluntary celibacy, Craig is an incel, right? But he doesn't have any of modern incel behaviors. Like, he's not out here thinking that he can rape women. He's not out here um, stalking people and following them around town or, or at their homes. And he doesn't have a mean bone in his body. Right, he's just sort of, you know, living his life the best he knows how, you know? Like I said, like, he is lonely, like, he's lonely, and that's upsetting, but I like that he takes it upon himself to just try to find his own happiness. Right, right, and you might not get the thing that you want, but, like, he never resigns himself to being unhappy, right? He's like, okay, I didn't get this thing, let me try something else, so in that regard, I will say that like Greg, Craig is an example for us all. <laughs> he is. He's an example for us all. Um, and yeah, he does. He he's like, let me go find something I actually want, or like let me um let me find and do the things in life that bring me joy. And that's oh, girl, that's a message even for today. <laughs> it is. It is a message. Um so I think we got all the major characters. So I want to talk about like the subplot of like Stevie's mom. So early in the series, Stevie's mom, Kitty Carnarvon, leaves the family. Like she abandons. Yeah, she she. Oh, okay, she leaves Abe and her son Stevie, and she gets all the hoeing done that she didn't get done in her twenties. And um, she eventually comes back like one or two seasons later. And it's interesting because Malcolm's Malcolm and his brothers are like happy for Stevie that his mom is back. But like Lois, and this is again, Lois has such great moments. Lois is very protective. She's like, I don't know if I want this woman back. She's gonna hurt Stevie again. I will not let Stevie be hurt again. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I <laughs> I remember that. And I love that because I think it speaks to how grateful Lois is that like Malcolm met Stevie or Malcolm and Stevie become friends and that Malcolm has someone in his life that was 
intellectually stimulating for him and like challenging for him and in in the ways that she appreciates just Stevie in his own right. Right. I mean, she doesn't treat Stevie any differently than her own sons. You can't even say that she's like less warm with him because Lois is not a warm person with her own children, right? <laughs> she's especially after Kitty left we saw the Stevie character become a little bit more integrated into the plot in that particular season. If Lois didn't have a reaction, I probably would have thought nothing of it because a lot of times on TV, a lot of parents aren't really that invested in their friend, their children's friends, especially, especially their children's black friends. So the fact that she had a reaction really stood out to me. And the fact that she had that reaction was, I thought, really beautiful. Absolutely. So let me, let's talk about Dewey for a minute. Mm-hmm. So Dewey initially is just kind of, is your typical sort of, youngest child before the new baby he you know he's the baby he's sort of tagged he's trying to like to be with his brother they're like uh you're you're the baby um but he does sort of find ways to needle himself in there um but something that is interesting about dewey is that dewey will be the next gifted child that they have right um mm-hmm but he's not gifted in math and science like Malcolm is. He will be, he's gifted artistically. Mm-hmm. Um, but they and don't. He's an innovator. Yeah, he's an innovator. He's very create, like he, um, and I'm specifically, and and we see it, we'll see it a bunch throughout the, this, the back half of the series. You'll see it a bunch throughout the back half of the series, but I'm thinking particularly about opera, the opera episode where Stevie writes an entire opera from his parents fighting or not mm-hmm. Stevie Dewey Dewey writes an entire opera from his parents fighting, but they will not. It's interesting. I guess the thing that I want to highlight is that they will not Lois and Hal will sort of not uh, push that the way I think they've pushed or, or really looked out for Malcolm, which is interesting. So I thought the same thing. And like, Seeing these things, and Alex says we see them a lot, like Dewey's genius is really frustrating. No one in his family really take notice of it. There's one episode in particular where he builds an entire organ out of, like, spoons and forks and tin cans, right? Like, he builds a musical instrument, you guys. And, like, Hal completely destroys it without ever even having noticed what it was. And it wasn't until the last episode that I realized, while Hal just really does not see how brilliant his son is, Lois sees it and understands that he's self-motivated enough. The reason why she fought so hard to get Malcolm in these particular classes or in these gifted programs was because Malcolm is someone who needs guidance. Like, if he wasn't pushed... To be excellent, he would just fall from the wayside. Whereas Dewey keeps on trucking and keeps on keeping on no matter what. In the graduation episode, which was the the series finale episode, where the family has been covered in toxic waste and sewage, watch the episode to figure out why, right before going to Malcolm's graduation, and they completely collapse and fall apart. And everyone starts shouting, and she's like, listen, do you think you're supposed to have an easy life? 
um, you know, invent something cool, get rich and have lots of money. No, that's going to be Dewey's life. She already knows that's going to be Dewey's life. (laughs) 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 Like, you think you're not going to go to college and, like, still be brilliant and still have a great life? No, that's Dewey's life. Like, she already knows. Like, Dewey don't even need school. He's brilliant. (laughs) 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 Like, so she, she already has all their lives planned out. Like, she knows their strengths and weaknesses. And she makes it clear. Then Dewey's like, what? What? For real? That's going to be my life? (laughs) Because she sees it in him. She sees who her children are. And out of all her children, um, Reese is like, I mean, Dewey's the only one that doesn't need to be pushed to be his best. That's true. Okay. I, I get I get that. Okay. So I get that. But I think that Hal legitimately didn't understand that, that, that Reese was that. Dewey was brilliant because it's Hal. Hal doesn't notice anything. <laughs> Hal doesn't notice anything. But I will say that Hal and Lois probably have one of the best TV marriages. Hal doesn't notice anything with the kids, but I think Hal... And Hal doesn't notice anything in general. But, like, when it's pointed out to him, he tries. And I think, like, with in particular with his, his marriage for Lois, I do think he tries. Um, not early on because like when they all forget her birthday, I was just like, oh my God, no. Like at that moment, if she had decided to walk out, I would have, I wouldn't have said it was right, but I would have understood. Um, but it's okay. um, (laughs) but, and in the later seasons, I think in the mid to late seasons, you do see how actively trying, actively working on his marriage, making sure that he is supporting his wife in in the ways that he can particularly in in that like he's never really like demanding of her to like be a certain weight or look a certain way or whatever and and that's and, and that happens like in an ep- episode where i think lois is just like feeling insecure about mm-hmm. like we all do about the way we look and sometimes and you know how reinforces to her is like i wouldn't want you any other way like your your body is because like you birthed all these freaking kids like and that's amazing and i still love you like i still want to like i'm still attracted to you right right i think one of the best episodes in so far as illuminating how's love for lois is the episode that alex just named um, and also one of my favorites from season three. This is episode 14, Cynthia's Back. At that episode, one of Lois's acquaintances, one of the other neighborhood moms that she and Hal were at a New Year's Eve party with several years ago, is in AA and comes to the house to make amends with Lois for kissing Hal at a New Year's Eve party. And Hal's like, listen, that bitch must have been drunk because I never kissed her. I haven't kissed anyone since else since I met you. And... Um, she's like, well, she's, and Lois is like, well, she's a really attractive woman. And she's like, and he's like, I wouldn't know. And then she's like, you're telling me after all these years, you've never seen another woman that turns your head. And he's like, no. And he's, he's offended that she would even bring it up. And she's like, well, I think about other people. And he's like, well, I don't. And he's like, well, if you don't, then that means that you love me more. And he's like, yeah, I love you more. I know that. I've always loved you more. I mean, imagine imagine that our lives would be if you loved me the same way that I loved you. We would get nothing done. (laughs) 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 
which was I thought really really beautiful that like he was he was very cognizant of the fact that he loved the most and he was comfortable with it right he was very comfortable with it right um but there's still a lot of beautiful moments with Lois and Hal um and it's made very clear, not just from all the kids, but a, fr- a conversation that she has with Francis when he's having conversations with Piyama once they're newlyweds, that she and how fuck a lot. And it's they really do. good. <laughs> and it's really good. And she says, quote, sometimes your father puts it on me so good that I forget how to spell my own name. <laughs> it's a four letter name, you guys. <laughs> so yeah how is fulfilling uh, he's upholding some of his husbandly duties at least Um, right i want to talk about the the character that i absolutely despise the character on this show who's actually a bad mom and that is lois's mom ida uh ida's the worst (laughs) ida's the absolute worst you guys she's although i respect because she's right she's like a she she is racist right she says a lot of crazy shit right she's every ist right she's she's everything you guys i do respect this show because we we're we talk about that about how like white families are racist but then like nowadays like white writers like to pretend that like nobody in the family is racist she's she is and like i and i respect the show for that that they're just like yeah she sucks She's racist, she's ableist, she's homophobic, she's queer antagonistic. Um, She's everything but classist, and that's just because she happens to be poor. So um, it's interesting, too, because they're an immigrant family. Like, Lois's mom is from the old country, and I don't know if the old— I don't know what country specifically the old country is supposed to be. Um, I don't know if it's Croatia— or Serbia, I think it's one of those two. It's but one I'm, of those sure. uh, Eastern European countries. Yeah, I mean, it could be Croatia, it could be Serbia, it could be Yugoslavia. It's one of those old countries. It's definitely not Russia, but it's one of the others. Um, I thought that was interesting because this is something that writers do quite often, right? They give you the very defensive, the very aggressive, the very offensive immigrant character and i think the fact that lois's mom was an immigrant was what allowed them to be honest about the type of person she is Mm, that's an interesting thought they really don't like to paint like you know born and raised americans in that same light i see this often like anytime i see like a racist white character in these types of narratives they're like a quote quote foreigner um which i think is interesting um, it's something to think about, especially when you think about like Americans' attitudes to these immigrant groups as they were coming in and basically other them until it became absorbed in the fabric of American whiteness. Right. Now, in the show at large, I think, is a subtle indictment on classism and wealth hoarding because it completely blows the notion out of the water that poor people are poor because they don't work hard enough. Malcolm's I- parents work. <laughs> Right, absolutely. So, uh, Hal and Lois work very hard, like right. extremely hard. I think at one point, Lois is has her job at that CVS store, and she's doing some sort of like multi level marketing hustle as well. 
Right. Um, yeah, it's like a knockoff CVS or Rite Aid. I think it's called like Lucky Aid, wherever they yeah. work. <laughs> and mm-hmm. she and she does she does a multi level marketing. She's 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 running the house. Like her and Reese are the only people in the house who know how to cook and who cook. Um, and then on top of that, she, she will cover Craig shifts quite often, working double shifts very often. So they're hustling, they're hustling and just, and that's just to keep their heads above water to make sure that the bills are paid and that the kids are fed. Exactly. And that the, what the show does brilliantly is it doesn't just tell you the kids are poor. It shows you the kids are poor. Malcolm and his brothers recycle wardrobe often. Like we'll see them wearing the same thing, the the same clothes they wore like three or four episodes ago on a new episode. Or there's one episode in particular where they're headed to a funeral and Reese's suit doesn't fit anymore. So they give him one of his dad's old suits and they give Malcolm um, his old suit and they give... They give uh, Malcolm's old suit to to Dewey, so right. um, it, this is something that the show is very, very cognizant of, and they definitely play with is how clothes are just another marker of your class, right? And being able to to buy them or or uh, infrequently, and another or t- to be able to buy them super frequently, and another time we see this is when. Lois drags the boys uh, back to school shopping. It's either like Black Friday or it's some type of Black Friday like thing. And she's trying to, and they're, you know, they're incensed to be there, but she's trying to be like, listen, these are the rules. You got to get to this bin by this time. And if you like have to, (laughs) and you know, if you got to shove some old ladies out of the way, then that's what you got to do. But like, this is serious because, like, these are the this is the only time that I'll be able to buy you clothes in like the next couple of years, right? Right. So she has to co- go with a game plan. She's got to take it seriously. She's got to make sure the boys take it seriously, and you know, conversations about things like that, clothing, food. There's another great episode about food where, like, um, it's it's Lois and Hal's anniversary. And Hal gets some cuts of meat, but the two best cuts of meat are for him and Lois. And he he enlists Reese to cook the meat and, you know, tells him, okay, these are for me and your mom and these are for your brothers. Cook them, go in your room, and then leave us alone. (laughs) (laughs) And then, like, Reese tries to swap out the cuts of meat. And then Hal swaps them back. And then Reese swaps them back again. And it's on and on and on like that with, like, him trying to save the best cuts of meat for himself and his wife on this like one occasion. And it's small things like that, right? Cause we don't talk about how expensive meat is and how different cuts of meat have different prices. There's an episode and I'm just curious as to like what your take was on it, but there's an episode where, and I think it is that back to school shopping episode where Lois imagines she's just fed up with the boys and she imagines what would it be like if she had had all girls instead. Uh, yes, 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 yes. I remember that episode. And wasn't it like in her imagination, the girls were more expensive and drove her crazier? Yeah, like eventually. Like at first it's sort of like this utopia and they're like really, and then I think she gets honest with herself and they they want a bunch of stuff and they drive her dr- like even crazier than the boys 
I think Lois would be a good mom to daughters because she's doing a much better job than Ida ever did with her and her sister. But I think that episode was realistic to the ways that people view raising girls, not necessarily how it actually is raising girls. And I've made that comment before, like back when we discussed parenthood. A lot of these episodes are realistic to how certain people behave towards other people, not necessarily how those people are. I don't think it's harder or more, even more expensive to raise daughters. But I think we've got it into our head as a society that women are very superficial. Women really love accessories. Women love shopping, et cetera, et cetera. Having daughters will put you in the poorhouse. Like no one even talks about how much teenage boys eat. Right. Thank you so much. (laughs) Um, And food can be so expensive. So speaking of gender roles, women, let's talk about, so Hayden Panettiere, like a young Hayden Panettiere shows up on the show playing the character named Jessica. Mm -hmm. And she babysits the boys much to their dismay. But yeah, she's adorable. She's adorable, but she, she overcomes the boys because she is very, she's comp- She's more manipulative than they are. Mm-hmm. And she's smarter about being manipulative than they are. So let's, do you remember, like, do you remember her character? Yeah, I remember her very vividly. Um, like, and this is something I suspected when she first babysat them. But in one of my favorite episodes, season seven, episode five, Jessica stays over. We learn, like, Jessica's like an, actual sociopath like she's not violent um she's not evil but she is a world-class manipulator and gets off on manipulating people to get what she wants right even when she was telling malcolm what she was doing she was manipulating him which was like world-class like it was a manipulation inception (laughs) she yes i like her she's she's funny she's adorable she's but i don't know there's something about her character, that plot that didn't sit right with me? Or are or were you all in on her? I wasn't all in on her. Um, she, Jessica left a bad taste in my mouth, and I think it's because Hayden Panettiere is so adorable, right? We have this white girl who's like, she's not a compulsive liar. Compulsion, you know, implies that you can't help it, right? She's a very calculated, um, lying sociopath. Um, and she's cute and she's blonde and she's pocket size and she's exactly the type of white woman that ruins lives. (laughs) (laughs) That's why she didn't sit well with me. (laughs) Yeah. She, I think I was just like annoyed at like, I don't know. There was, there was just always something about, I think that character that characterization that like bugged me that I could never quite put my finger on of like why it bugged me but I don't know no I think that was me with Abby Morgan I, I couldn't for sure tell you why I mean I knew why the character bothered me but like I didn't want her to even be on the show on Dawson's Creek and I couldn't for like I for the life of me I couldn't like articulate why I thought that character should have never existed <laughs> <laughs> Um, but no, I, I mean, to her credit, Hayden Panettiere plays the role of Jessica quite well. And I actually see glimpses of Jessica in, um, her character, Julia on Nashville. Not that Juliet's a sociopath, but Julia is someone who's like cool with lying to get her way. She's just not as good at it as Jessica is. <laughs> so let's jump into our favorite episodes. Let's just run down all seven seasons and tell the audience our episodes, our favorites. Do you want to kick it off or should I? 
Uh, you can kick it off. Alrighty then. Let's start with season one. My first episodes from season one are episode one, the pilot episode, episode five, Malcolm Babysits, and episode 12, which was Cheerleader. And episode two, my favorite episodes were Halloween, approximately, um, which was um, number three, Lois's birthday. Number 10, The Bully. And episode 16, The Grandparents. This is when we meet um, Lois's parents for the first time. Great episode. Favorite episodes from season three would be episode three, Book Club. Episode four, Malcolm's Girlfriend. Episode seven, Christmas. And episode 14, Cynthia's Back. Favorite episode from season favorite episodes from season four, episode three, family reunion, episode four, stupid girl, and episode eleven, long drive. From season five, my favorite episodes are episode two, watching the baby, episode three, goodbye kitty, episode thirteen, Lois's sister. And episodes 21 and 22, Restrains the Army, part one and two. From season six, my favorite episodes are episode five, Kitty's Back. Episode 11, Dewey's Opera. And episode 18, Ida's Dance. And season seven, last but not least, most of my favorites are actually in this season. Episode two, health insurance episode five jessica stays over episode 13 mono episode 15 aa episode 17 house dentist and episodes 21 and 22 which were morp that's prom spelled backwards and graduation right those are those are all really solid ones they're definitely We'll definitely have some overlap with my favorites as well. So season one, um, I like Red Dress. Season one, episode two, Red Dress. Season one, six, Sleepover. I like uh, episode 11, Funeral. Episode 14, Bots and Bees. And then episode 15, Smum Day, which is like Sunday with an M after the (laughs) S. And then... Episode 16, Water Park. Uh, from season two, I really like... I also like Lois's birthday. Uh, episode three, Lois's birthday. Uh, episode six, Convention. Episode 17, Surgery. Episode 18, Reese Cooks. 23, Carnival. And then 25, Flashback in season two. In season three, I like episode two, Emancipation, episode eight, Poker, uh, episode nine, Reese's Job, episode 18, Poker 2, episode, so hold on, I skipped one, episode 17, Dewey's Dog, um, mm-hmm. episode 20, Jury Duty, and then episode 21, Clicks. Then four, I really like... 
Episode three, Family Reunion. Episode four, Stupid Girl. Episode six, Forbidden Girlfriend. Episode 10, If if Boys Were Girls, which we mentioned earlier. Episode 15, Garage Garage Sale. Episode 19, Future Malcolm. Episode 20, oh, and then episode 20 and 21, Baby Part 1 and Part 2. So then from season 5, I really like season 5, episode 3, uh, Goodbye Kitty. Um, and that's when, and I mentioned this, when Stevie's mom is like, deuces. Uh, episode 4, Thanksgiving. Episode 6, Malcolm's Job. Episode 5, Malcolm Films Reese. Episode 10, Hot Tub. Episode 16, Malcolm Visits College. Episode 18, Dewey Special Class. Episode 19, Experiment. And uh, that's it in season five for me. Season six, I really like the season opener, Reese Comes Home. That's episode one. Episode five, Kitty's Back which is another one we mentioned. Abe's wife comes back. And that's episode five. Uh, Episode six, Hal's Christmas gift. Episode nine, Malcolm's car. Episode 11, opera. Uh, And then episode 13, Tiki Lounge. Episode 14, Ida loses a leg. Episode 17, Butterflies. Episode 19, Motivational Speaker. And then episode 22, Mrs. Tri-County. And then for the final season, season seven, I really liked episode one, Burning Man. Um, Episode three, Reese versus Stevie. Episode six, Secret Boyfriend. Episode 10, Malcolm's Money. Uh, Episode 15 as well, AA. Episode 16, Lois Strikes Back. Episode 17, Hal's Dentist. Episode 19, Stevie in the Hospital. And then episode 22, the series finale, Graduation. Right. I love all of those. I'm going to be very clear, you guys. I'm a big stand of Malcolm in the Middle. Malcolm in the Middle is my favorite sitcom, hands down. And that's saying a lot for someone who just said that they grew up on sitcoms. I'm basing this on a lot. The two key things for me is that the show ended, I felt just at the right time that it needed to end. They didn't stretch that shit out forever. And it was very hard for me to think of favorite episodes. Like this was harder than calculus for me. Cause I've never seen an episode of episode of this show that wasn't funny. Right. I don't think there is, there's always moments in these episodes that are funny, which is a hard thing to pull off. The writing, man. Listen, when it comes to writing a, a family sitcom, get these people on board. Get Linwood Boomer. Get Steve Welsh. Get Matthew Carlson. Get Steve Love. Get Alex Reed. Get um, you know Chris Masterson. These were some of the principal writers on that show, and they had their writers' room was pretty stacked. Um, even Brian Cranston wrote a couple episodes. Yeah, he so he wrote like the episode called Malcolm Defends Reese and Christopher Masterson, who plays Francis, he wrote the episode called How Grieves. These writers know what they're doing. The the the, the actors know what they're doing. There's a there's great synchronicity happening here. <laughs> right. And I mean Brian and then like obviously like how like Brian Cranston, who would 
he would go on from this show to be like a mega star. Um, if you have to give this series like an overall grade. Excellent. Excellent. And please, for the love of God, wait a good 20 years before you try to reboot this shit, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, same. I would give this, it's a solid good. Being tough on the grading, it's still a good. Like we said, the show, the show has a good rhythm, I think, from the pilot. The writers and everybody who makes the show really understands who these characters are. There is growth, I think, from all of the characters. And I think that particularly is a hard thing to do with a sitcom because the whole point of a sitcom is that it just it's it's just these same people doing the same stuff. Like that's sort of the point of it. It, it you have to find a uniformity. And that happens in this show, but these characters still grow. They still learn new things. They they change over time. And that's that's an extremely hard thing to do, I think, on a sitcom, which is all about being uniform and having a specific and making sure the voice never changes. It's it's really quite impressive. And there you have it, folks. This is everything that we think made Malcolm in the Middle good, bad, and basic. If you'd like to watch or rewatch this series, Malcolm in the Middle is currently streaming on Hulu. Malcolm in the Middle was the perfect storm of casting, writing, acting, and direction that made for a fun, innovative, and deeply memorable sitcom. So often when we discuss series, we often speak of what could have been done better, but with this one, the mistakes were few and far between. We hope that you all have enjoyed hearing our thoughts on this modern classic. Patrons, be sure to check out the GBB Malcolm in the Middle Spotify playlist. Tune in next week when Em and I will be discussing HBO's hit family drama, Big Love. If you want to watch or relive this series, Big Love is currently streaming over at Amazon Prime, as well as Hulu with the HBO add-on, and directly at HBO.com. Until then, our top-tier patrons can tune into our next movie review episode, where Em and I will be discussing the romantic period drama In the Mood for Love. If you're not on this tier yet, level up. You don't want to miss out on this episode. We'll be joined by special guest Kieran Scarlett of the You Started It podcast. If you want to watch or rewatch In the Mood for Love before then, it's currently streaming on the Canopy app and the Criterion channel, as well as Fubo TV. The episode goes live this Saturday. Follow The Good, The Bad, The Basic on all major podcast platforms to listen to all of our regular weekly episodes on the go. If you love this sort of content and want more, become a show producer and patron on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash goodbadbasic. Your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly episodes as well as exclusive bonus material. Be sure to follow us at Good Bad Basic Pod on Twitter. And of course, follow our SoundCloud page, The Good, The Bad, The Basic, where all of our social media links are listed. Until next time. Bye, Bye everyone. everyone.